Open all his boxes, a box of chocolates Would I know to stay away? What's said, hand off his box, a box of chocolates Would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe That means I have half a mind to stay It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good evening, this is Mike. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food and culture every Thursday evening at 6.30, and we've got all kinds of celebrations coming up of a religious and secularist variety, and it looks like it's a good time to play some songs about those things and maybe learn a little bit about them, so we're going to hear a little music, too. This, I think, is the International Easter Anthem, Or if it isn't, it ought to be. This is Sam Butera and the Witnesses. This is recorded in 1959, and it's Up Jumped a Rabbit. I was walking along the street, looking down at my shoes, my heart as well as my feet, were weighted down with the blues, cause my life had not a friend. And I wanted my life to end When up jumped a rabbit Friendly as could be Down ran a squirrel Yes, from a friendly tree Oh, the way I flew birds Flew around my head They all said when things look down You gotta look, look up You gotta look, look up You gotta look, look up instead Now I'm walking along the street With a smile on my face When I met a girl Who was down on the human race There was not a friend she knew And she wanted to end it too When up jumped that rabbit Friendly as could be Down ran a squirrel Yes, from a friendly tree You gotta look, look up. You gotta look, look up instead. Now we're walking along the street. Happy lovers are we. Our life is now complete. Yes, I love a girl who loves me. So our story happily ends. Because of those crazy friends like that jumping rabbit. Well, there you go. That is the entire story of Easter in one song. Who can forget the story of the Easter squirrel? And the, no, maybe not. That was Sam Butera and the Witnesses, and up jumped a rabbit. This is Pandora's Lunchbox. It's a show about food and culture. And today we're going to look at Easter and to those celebrating Easter and to those celebrating Passover. I wish you a great weekend. And uh, or commemorating, I should say, however you observe it. 
Now, got some interesting information about the origins of Easter. Before it was a Christian thing, there's a website here called ancient-origins.net. The dash is very important here, and I have no idea what I'm talking about there. But Easter, as a celebration of the goddess of spring, it's said to have represented— Easter was originally a celebration of Yostra, E-O-S-T-R-E, I may be mispronouncing that, the goddess of spring, otherwise known as Ostara, Ostra, and Istra, with an R-E at the end. One of the most revered aspects of Ostara for both ancient and modern observers is a spirit of renewal. Celebrated at spring equinox on March 21st, you remember that day, Ostara marks the day when light is equal to darkness and will continue to grow. As the bringer of light after a long, dark winter, the goddess was often depicted with the hare, an animal that represents the arrival of spring as well as the fertility of the season. And up jumped the rabbit, know what I'm saying? The most widely practiced customs on Easter Sunday relate to the symbol of the rabbit, of course, the Easter bunny and the egg. The rabbit was a symbol associated with Eostra, representing the beginning of springtime. Likewise, the egg has come to represent spring, fertility, and renewal. In Germanic mythology, it is said that Ostara healed a wounded bird she found in the woods by changing it into a hare. So you can heal a bird by changing it into a hare. That's something I need to make a note on. Still partially a bird, this is crucial, the hare showed its gratitude to the goddess by laying eggs as gifts. The Encyclopedia Britannica explains the pagan traditions associated with the egg. The egg, as a symbol of fertility and of renewed life, goes back to the ancient Egyptians and Persians, who had also the custom of coloring and eating eggs during their spring festival. In ancient Egypt, an egg symbolized the sun, while for the Babylonians, the egg represents the hatching of the Venus Ishtar, who fell from heaven to the Euphrates. Wow. This is good stuff. Here's some good stuff, too. This is Fats Domino. This should be appropriate. In your east, still burning With all the frills upon it You be the grain is lady In the Easter parade Photographers, 
will snap us And you find that you win the road to grab you Oh, I could write a sonnet About your Easter Bunny And of all the girls I am taking To the Easter Man, that's some nice guitar. And I just heard from Arwolf, maybe I should have known this, but I know now, Easter Parade was written by Irving Berlin, as a matter of fact. It was recorded here by Fats Domino in 1959, released at the first uh, in 1961. Kind of amazingly, the, the first two cuts we've heard today were recorded in 1959 and released in 1961. What is happening here? It's amazing. What is happening is 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 Pandora's Lunchbox, and we would like to thank all of our listeners for joining in with us and celebrating this coming weekend, commemorating, as you will, the beginning of Passover tomorrow and Easter on Sunday. Some traditional foods for Passover include the matzo kugel, a kugel made with matzo instead of noodles, Gefilte fish, the poached fish patties or fish balls made from a mixture of ground, deboned fish, mostly carp or pike. Chicken soup with matzo balls served, yes, as we, as you, as we described, chicken soup with matzo balls. Passover noodles. Noodles are prepared from potato, flour, and eggs served in soup. Batter is fried like thin crepes, which are stacked, rolled up, and sliced into ribbons. These are some Ashkenazi foods according to... The website we know is Wikipedia on Easter. I'm sorry. Passover traditions, I apologize. A little spacey now. Long work day, and here I am talking as if I know how to talk. But thank you for your patience and for listening to Pandora's Lunchbox. Many, many food songs to share with you. Here's another one. This is, uh, this is a collection I have here on the Bear family label called Easter Bunny Hop. And here's Rosemary, Rosemary Crooney. He's going to croon a little rosemary for you. department store. All day the children came, noses pressed against a window pane, spoke to Egbert, but alack, Egbert cried because he couldn't answer back. Then all at once the clouds rolled by to let the sun shine through. Believe it or not, it got so hot that Egbert split in two. Out Popped a baby chick, a teeny weeny little baby chick, and the children heard him say, Egbert wishes you a happy Easter day. Thank you. 
Easter egg was a pretty little Easter egg. Cutest thing you ever saw in the window of a big department store. All day the children came, noses pressed against the window pane. Spoke to Egbert, but alack, Egbert cried because he couldn't answer back. Then all at once the clouds rolled by to let the sun shine through. Believe it or not, it got so hot that Egbert split in two. Out popped a baby chick, a teeny weeny little baby chick, and the children heard him say, "Egbert wishes you a happy Easter day." Thank you, Rosemary Clooney. I got it right the second time. Rose Mally Crooney. I kind of like that's a good one. That's probably a good cartoon character in an imaginary cartoon character. It's almost quarter to seven, and Pandora's Lunchbox is almost half over-ish. Coming up at eight, we're going to skip an hour there. Coming up at seven, it's Our Wolf and Face the Music. Did I mention I was spacey? Spacey. Seven o'clock is Our Wolf with Face the Music. Wonderful music. The majority of it from the first half of the 20th century, really wonderful stuff that he picks. He really, if you haven't tuned in to your all of seven, cancel all your other plans and definitely tune in. At eight o'clock, it's Shimmy Shimmy Coco Bop. Quick look at some food related events coming up in the concert world this Saturday. Coulter Wall and the local Honeys will play at L Club in Detroit. That's this Saturday at eight. And there you go, food. It's delicious there. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, and we're going to actually do another food song. This is a food song about food. This is really not about food. I'm just kidding. But it's oddly appropriate. Here's Johnny Horton. I spent my egg money to show my honey what this city life was really like. Night spots. We met all the big shots. They thought her country talk was fine. She's just a country gal. She's my pride and joy. I'm just a simple guy, but I'm her lover boy. I spent my egg money to show my honey what this city life was really like. Just a country gal, she's my pride and joy. 
I'm just a simple guy, but I'm her lover boy now. I spent my egg money to show my honey what this city life was really like. Ain't nobody's egg money but my own, that's for sure. That is Egg Money by Johnny Horton. I've been playing these from a collection on Bear Family called Easter Bunny Hop because, oh, I don't know why, just feels like the time of the week. I don't know. This is Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. We're also at WCBN.org. I was mentioning a bit about concerts a moment ago, rather gratuitously, but you can read concerts at WCBN.org slash concerts for a list of what's going on around town. Also on the WCBN.org website, events, listings, and the full schedule, and you can also see information on the songs I've been playing, like what they're called and who does them and stuff. Well, I've got a very interesting article I'm going to read a little bit to you about at. This is from the website called The Salt. It's actually a blog called The Salt. It's an NPR blog, don't you know? says here, Lust, Lies, and Empire, the fishy tale behind eating fish on Friday. says here, according to tradition or urban myth or whatever you might call it, a powerful medieval pope made a secret pact to prop up the fishing industry that ultimately alters global economics. The result, millions of Catholics around the world end up eating fish on Fridays as part of of a religious observance. Because a medieval pope pope... I'm not sure what a pope is, but he made a secret pact. But it gets more complicated than that. It's a humdinger of a tale, says this story by Maria Godoy. I'm going to just touch on a little bit of that here. According to Christian teaching, Jesus died on a Friday, and his death redeemed a sinful world. People have written of fasting on Friday to commemorate the sacrifice as early as the first century. Says Michael Foley, who wrote a book called Why Do Catholics Eat Fish on Friday, appropriately appropriately enough, technically it's the flesh of a warm-blooded animal that's off-limits, an animal that, in a sense, sacrificed its life for us, if you will. Fish are cold-blooded, so they're considered fair game. Says Foley, if you were inclined to eat a reptile on Friday, you could do that, too. But Christendom never really developed a hankering for snake. But fish were associated with sacred holidays even in pre-Christian times. As the number of meatless days piled up on the medieval Christian calendar, not just Fridays, but Wednesdays and Saturdays, Advent and Lent and other holy days, the hunger for fish grew, and fish fasting days became central to the growth of the global fishing industry. At first, Christians middle... (laughs) Sorry. Fish caught my throat, as they say. At first, Christians' religious appetite was largely met with herring. The fish was plentiful, but dry and tasteless when smoked or salted. And preservation was a must in medieval times. Eventually, cod became all the rage. It it tasted better when cured and lasted longer, too. The Vikings were really good at preserving cod, and the route the Vikings took at the end of the first millennium, Greenland, Iceland, Newfoundland, matches up with the natural range of the Atlantic cod. It's also possible that others may have followed the cod trail to Canada before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Clues suggested that English fishermen from Bristol may have made the voyage by around 18... Hello? 1480, but kept mum on the location in case the competition should rush in. 
By some accounts, both Columbus and John Cabot had heard of these adventures when they set off on their epic journeys west. But when the Pope's story is a fish tale as it is, an official leader of a church did make fish fasting the law for purely practical reasons. Henry VIII, yes, by the time Henry ascended to the throne in 1509, fish dominated the menu for a good part of the year. But after Henry became smitten with Anne Boleyn, English fish-eating took a nosedive. Because, why? Henry was desperate for des- desperate with desire for speaking a complete sentence, but he was also desperate with desire for Anne. But Anne wanted a wedding ring. The problem was, Henry already had a wife, Catherine of Aragon, and the Pope refused to annul that decades-long marriage. So Henry broke off from the Roman Catholic Church, declared himself the head of the Church of England, and divorced Catherine so he could marry Anne. Suddenly, eating fish became political. Fish became seen as a popish fish that lost favor as fast as Anglicism took root. Fishmen were hurting, so... When Henry's youngest son, Edward VI, took over in 1547, fast days were reinstated by law, quote, for worldly and civil policy, to spare flesh and use fish, for the benefit of the commonwealth where many be fishers and use the trade of living. Fast fish, fish fasting, fast fish, look out, there's a fast coming fish. Fish fasting remained surprisingly influential in global economics well into the 20th century. So much we could say, but there's also so much music to hear. As a matter of fact, I think we can come up with something a little bit, uh, how about a little rabbit action? This is a family hour, isn't it? We'll see. Well, it's a rabbit action, it's a taking the day I know a little cat and it wants to play But the light of the moon will bop around Go out and hop with all the rabbits in town Well, it's first to Joe's and then to Moe's Well, look at me, honey, I'm wearing my cat clothes Like a itty bitty bunny, I'll hop all night Long about four, be feeling just right Well, it's hop, bop, bop It's a whole lot of hopping till the sun shines bright Means you're gonna bop the whole long night I'm a-liking your rockin', your rhythm too well, Look out, honey, I'm gonna cabbage on you Well, rock it now, bop, get bop about through but like to rock some more with this jukebox too just a quarter of dime a nickel will do bop rabbit action the whole night through whoa rabbit action that was mr jimmy haggett rabbit action you know if you went to the wcbn website you could go to the wcbn schedule and if you went to the wcbn schedule you could look up go cat go the rockabilly show funny about things like rockabilly songs and things and you can find out that go cat go the rockabilly show is every here it comes tuesday with del villarreal 
Go Cat Go! The Rockabilly Show is every Tuesday on WCBN from 8 to 10 p.m. Well, we're just about wrapping it up here, and I want to play this next song as a dedication to our friend Arwolf here. This is a song that was recorded 80 years ago today. This is a song about food with no words. How does that work? Well, you know, you can always read the title, but then the percussion is very helpful in this case to help you to understand that this is a song about a particular food. It's called Swingin' in a Coconut Tree. But first, you need to know that Wikipedia has an entire page called Death by Coconut. An entire page says here coconuts falling from their trees and striking individuals cause serious injury to the back, shoulder, and head, potentially fatally. Following a 1984 study on injuries due to falling coconuts, exaggerated claims spread concerning the number of deaths by falling coconuts. According to urban legend, falling coconuts kill a few people a year. This legend gained momentum in after the 2002 work of a noted expert on shark attacks was characterized as saying that falling coconuts kill 150 people each year worldwide. This statistic has often been contrasted with the number of shark-caused deaths per year, which is around five. Concern about the remote risk of fatality due to gravity's pull on coconuts led officials in Queensland, Australia, to remove coconut trees from beaches in 2002. One newspaper dogged coconuts, the killer fruit. (laughs) Historical reports of actual death by coconut nonetheless date back to the 1770s. And this is getting weird. According to published accounts, Japanese forces in World War II weaponized the tropical fruit by turning them into coconut bombs filled with acid and a hand grenade. Oh, no. Oh, no. Having said that, though, let's get a little more cheerful because this song was recorded 80 years ago today, March 29th, 1938. It's Louis Jordan and the Timpani Five. This song goes out to Mr. Arwolf and all the wonderful music that he provides to us every week. So dig this. Keep listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Don't ever stop doing that. I've been Mike for a while. Arwolf and Face the Music is coming up at 7. You ready? Here it is. It's a song about food with no words. See if you can hear the coconuts. Here we go. Just kidding. What's behind door number three?
Thank you, Mike. Wow, what a treat. And there actually is a Louis Jordan record I'd never heard before. Leave it to the uh, the English JSP label for, to dig it up and reissue it and hand it over to Mike. Recorded 80 years ago today, he pointed out. The uh, In addition to what sounded like maybe temple blocks, the... Uh, the percussionist was also using the kettle drum, hence the name Louis Jordan and his timpani five. They didn't keep using that kettle drum for uh, for very long, maybe a couple of years. Anyway, it's 7 o'clock. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name's R. Wolf, and I feel pretty good. How do you feel? You going to be okay? I thought if we continued to play music that had some kind of redeeming social value and therapeutic properties, maybe even analgesic properties, then maybe you'll feel even better. So I'm going to do it. In fact, this whole next hour is uh, comes under the rubric of uh, the title of one of the records that will um, be in the, the last set of the hour. For you, very simple. This is These are all you tunes. I've been doing this for several weeks. I think I've got one more program like this next week. And uh, all I'm doing is just looking for titles that have the word you in them. <laughs> That's wide open. But it's mostly material from the uh, first half of the 20th century. And this one even predates the 20th century. This is a uh, this is Scott Joplin's first published song. How do you like that? It was uh, in 1895, Scott Joplin and his Texas Medley Quartet, it's like a vocal group, toured as far east as Syracuse, New York, where he sold his first song, A Sentimental Ballad. This is called Please Say You Will. <laughs> 